Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim, and with me is, as always, Teal. Wow, that was a really efficient intro. Is this going to be a really efficient episode? <laughs> this is our really efficient episode. No, we're gonna we have a lot, a lot of ground to cover because the past uh, couple weeks with the holidays, that is my key time to go and see films in the theater, or in my case now, uh, see things on streaming because the theater is over an hour away. But I still got to the theater. I just can't get to the theater like I used to. I mean, I looked at a post from. Facebook back in 12 years ago and somebody had commented like what did you park yourself at the movie theater because I had seen so many films that it was a period right before my second child was born right and I was not going to have a lot of time once he was born um, because today actually that we're taping is his uh, 12th birthday so there was so many films this when I used to live in Arizona and I must have seen like 10 films within like a week span i used to do that all the time before i had kids i would just spend the holidays well like when i lived in la oh you could see everything well yes and i had a writer's guild pass right oh and so at that time you could see all the films that were up for award consideration exactly and for free right so uh (laughs) so i would just and you know i wouldn't have any family around over christmas right we did stuff over new year's if we did anything so i'd have like two weeks of no work and i would just go to the movies like all day and i would see all these end of the year films and and you know that was also like pre uh, streaming and everything right so uh if these films were out in new york and la that was your chance to see them for like the next six months before they came out on video or dvd or whatever and so it was a very exciting time of year. And, the, and there's a certain type of movie that only comes out around then. I feel like a lot of that end of the year hype on adult dramas has kind of dropped off because of streaming. People are excited for some of these year end things. But when some of these award contenders are now on the big streaming platforms yeah. like uh, Prime and Netflix, those are offerings that they literally come out. And they're at the end of the year. Instead of having to go out and see them, suddenly you just they're there in your living room. <laughs> well, exactly. And I, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon is the kind of movie that in years past would have been in the theaters a little bit longer than it was. But the fact that it's going to get a bunch of nominations and is showing up on all these top ten lists and everything, and it's right there available in your living room. So yeah, it's a little different now, but that doesn't mean I didn't. Uh, end up seeing a whole bunch of stuff. My wife was on a staycation. And so she was in the mood to watch things. And we really didn't go anywhere except for the, we went to the theaters once. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. We went to the theaters twice. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you about those both. But there was a lot of things to watch over the holidays. And I know we've had a, we've had a previous conversation and you have not seen the, uh, breadth of an assortment of films that I have. So yes. And let me just explain why. Okay. For the audience, for the, <laughs> for, for the, the audience, because you, you understand why, but uh, I no no, no, wait, wait, no, I, 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 I recognize that you've told me why do I understand it? <laughs> no, I don't. Cause we live two different lives completely, but we do. I mean, we do. I recognize that, there, that you have a reason, but I don't know if I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my reason is, is that I have a home theater 
Which sounds awesome. Which is awesome. It's amazing. I have a 120-inch screen with surround sound, and it's a real... Uh, I crank it up pretty loud, and it's... A, it's an immersive experience. It is. It's. It really feels like uh, different than watching a movie on TV, right? Okay. With the lights on and everything going on, right? So it's like you're really in the in the the screen with it. So I prefer to watch movies there than say on my laptop. Oh, of course. But when the kids are home for break, they take it over and they stay. Usually, I'll watch a movie at night after they go to bed on a school night, right? So they stay up late in the theater and then they have friends over all the time who they hang out in the theater and like watch taylor swift videos that sounds horrible and well you know they're 11 well, see, but see i blame you of course the parent yes you see you should say you had to put some rules hey listen i need to watch this movie you are welcome to watch this film and that's what I do at my house, right? And then usually the kids are scattering because they don't want to watch these films, but they're always welcome to watch them. <laughs> yeah, so it, you're right. It is entirely my fault. Like, kids, come here. We're going to watch Bradley Cooper's Maestro. It's all about uh, composer Leonard Bernstein. I'm sure. Would you like to, to watch that with us? <laughs> The last it's shot one three three mostly <laughs> exciting, black and white. Oh, my mostly. kids are my kids are so into aspect ratios. Well, we have a whole mo- uh, whole selection of aspect ratios I want to talk about in this thing. But okay, so they commandeered. You refused to tell them to get out so that you could watch yes. anything, and so didn't. But please tell me, as a dad, yeah, you got to have a little dadtainment by watching the new season of Reacher. Well, yes, that I don't mind watching on my laptop or on the small bedroom TV. Because uh, I got my, we got my, my son who got up on season one. We got uh, my wife into watching season two. She'd never seen season one, but oh, okay. watching season two. And uh, and she's enjoying the, the Reacherness of it all. It's very Reacher. Oh, yes. I do think I like the first season better. I do, but you know, it is fun to have all the extra characters. And yeah. I always, I liked neely and it's nice to have her in all the episodes and things so you know it it does feel a little csi or like one of those like procedurals at times well also there's something about reacher being a loner right that that like resonates with me with the character somehow and so when he has a team it's the character's a little less interesting to me but anyways, we we digress. So okay, so you didn't watch stuff. Well, you did go to the movies and see one thing, and then there's another film uh, that I told you about yes. that you've checked out. Um, we'll, we'll 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 sprinkle in the movie you saw in the theater in a moment, just just so we can you know I didn't see it, and so I want to hear about it. But uh, I will uh, start things off with uh, some things I did see. Yes. Okay, so uh, our good old pal, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Which, by the way, this coming weekend, the 7th of January, is Nicolas Cage's birthday, and we are at our house planning a day-long Cage Fest. Really? Yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to watch like Face Off and a few of his others. Do you have a list yet? Do you have your full list? Uh, no, I mean, we're only going to get to see some, some. I mean, my wife really, really wants to watch Face Off with the kids. Okay. And... I feel like I don't know if she's ever even seen um what the heck is that share movie there? 
Oh, Moonstruck. Yeah. And I liked the Cage performance because it was one of the first times where I, like, I remember when he first was doing films and his really weird characters like in um, uh, Peggy Sue Got Married. Yeah. I thought he was a terrible actor. I was yeah. like, this guy is terrible. But it wasn't until Moonstruck that I realized, wait a minute, this guy's playing on a different level. He's creating yeah. a character and he's doing something. And then- after I understood what he was doing, I went back and saw a movie like Peggy Sue Got Married, and I'm like, this guy is genius. He's like, he's taking the movie and doing his own thing, and it's brilliant. Yeah. That's a movie I haven't seen in years. I wonder if it Which holds one? up Peggy Sue Got Married. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe I'd watch that. I, I'm going to give my wife a choice because yeah. I don't know if she'll like either one of them, but like, uh, we'll watch Face Off, and then maybe, like I said, maybe we'll get three in. But, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage does 30 movies a year. No, no, 25 Come okay, on, don't 25. exaggerate. <laughs> Some years he does a ton. And this is one of those years where, you know, you get a good sense of like the paycheck Nicolas Cage right. and then the Nicolas Cage who latches on to a really amazing project and does something really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, so in recent years, I think there's been a, a resurgence of people recognizing that Nicolas Cage can be great. And that was like mandy and pig even color out of space and color out of space and then even when he did the unbearable lightness of being nicholas cage whatever it was uh that he was good in so wait what was what didn't you didn't you see that one that has um the guy from the last of us oh 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 the uh yes the unbearable weight of massive talent yeah that's it <laughs> like he's good in that too he's good in uh, that too yeah so this movie streaming now and, and it's actually in some art theaters there's this movie called dream scenario yeah i saw the trailer for it recently it looked a lot of fun and i said i want to watch this so my wife does when you say nicholas cage and something oddball she's in and we're watching this thing and it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> who directed it well, so Nicolas Cage plays this guy, Paul Matthews. He's like a, he's a professor, college, really weird biology stuff. His life just seems to suck and people have eclipsed him career-wise. Somebody that took one of his ideas that he just never finished the novel that he was going to do on a subject. She like ended up taking it because he didn't ever right. finish the book and she turns it into a very successful thing. And so his whole life, you know, he's a nobody. And then suddenly strangers or people he knows, they all start having dreams with him in it. <laughs> Such a good concept. It's almost like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Where right, right. The dreams. Every, people are having dreams about Nicolas Cage's character. And because of this, he becomes an unwitting celebrity. Right. And so there's this weird thing about social media and how nobodies can become popular and how people somehow have different expectations of you. Mm-hmm. Because you're popular for something. Right. And then things start to change, and I don't want to really get into it. But at some point, I had to stop and said, wait a minute. Who the hell made this movie? Because <laughs> I really wasn't paying attention to the to the thing yeah. until I'm like, this movie is so, it feels kind of like, um, uh, like a Kaufman right, movie. Right. And I'm talking about the, the adaptation guy there. Charlie Kaufman, yeah. Yeah, it felt like something that maybe Charlie Kaufman had dreamt up. And- I find out that Ari Aster wanted to direct the project. Wow. 
because he because the script he really liked it but the director a foreign guy the guy who wrote it he hadn't proven himself until he did and that's director christopher borgley who by the time they were deciding on who would the green lighting yeah. this movie his film sick of myself started hitting the oh. festival circuit and then they realized this guy can direct so they said you can direct this so now in 2023 this guy christopher borgley has made two of my favorite films wow okay that's really interesting yeah sick of my sick of myself is just such a uh, bitter treat I think I like sick of myself a little bit more, but that's they're they're, 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 they're you realize they're from the same director right. and writer. And this guy, he's very interested, and he's the, the best I've seen at really understanding how nutty things are because of social media. Right, right. And that was what sick of myself was really about, and that's what this dream scenario is about: is just how wrapped up you get in social media. Okay, so this uh, is high on my list. You got to see this thing of man. things. <laughs> yeah, because what one thing we're doing today is you've seen a bunch of these movies and I haven't, and so I'm trying to uh, put together a little list of what I'm going to watch in the next week or two to finish up my uh, movies for the uh, for my end of the year top ten list. And I'm being very cagey, haha, no, no uh, pun intended, <laughs> about my top 10 list this year. But as I've been now seeing a bunch of films, things are starting to take shape. I do have a what I feel is a legitimate top 10. And when I know I get a legitimate top 10 is that I've found that some placeholder movies are starting to drop off. Yes. And so I was very careful in designing my top 10 that I tried to only put things on that I was sure would make it. Well, I only had a few at first, and so I had some that I was like, well, I don't want to forget them out of the mix, and if I feel comfortable about them, I would like keep moving them up, but now they're dropping off. Yeah, so I have some placeholders that I predict will drop off, yeah. But I've now seen, you know, again, I'm seeing some great films. So, uh, But on the flip side, if this Cage movie is too artsy, but and you want to be reminded of the other Cage that's out there, <laughs> there's the ultimate cash grab movie that Nicolas Cage is in and it's called Retirement Plan and it is absolute genius terrible. <laughs> My wife and I watched it over a series of uh, times in bed and it was just delightfully horrible <laughs> in every way. It reminds me of the kind of movies that Bruce Willis would have taken in the past. Right, right. He's sort of doing the, oh, I get it. You guys want the kooky cage? All right, well, I'm not into this movie. It's a terrible movie, but I'll give you that a little bit. <laughs> and I guess part of it is he did the movie, you know how like Michael Caine would do things where it was going to be on a great location or something? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I guess it's like was all funded by like a production company in the Cayman Islands oh, where they want to promote the Cayman Islands. So the movie is set in the Cayman Islands for a large part. And I guess Nick Cage is friends with Ron Perlman from some other movie okay. that they made. And they found out that like they were going to get a chance to be in another movie together and hang out. So he agreed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even want to just honestly 
Teal, if you're looking for that no-brain entertainment, which I know you sometimes do. I do, definitely do. Yep. You, you will love the retirement plan because it is absolutely terrible. Give me the one-sentence premise. <laughs> it's even better because the entire movie, they say this a thousand times, there's a hard drive, a little tiny little, you know, thumb drive, but they keep calling it a hard drive that like contains some game changing information and everybody wants to get their hands on it. You never find out what's on it. It's just the ultimate MacGuffin. And you know, as an audience that you are never going to know what's on it, but you're told that it is super important. And all these people in multi like you know like uh was it uh 24 that tv series yeah, now, it was yeah. always like 70 layers of bad guys that were one up another <laughs> this has that whole infrastructure of bad guy after bad guy who reports to some other bad guy and they all need to get it. and of course it all ends up with some daughter and her child who have to go and to the caimans where her estranged father who's like a beach bum nick cage but he has also like a secret ex-cia guy or whatever with all sorts of skills even though he doesn't really show any skills um it's just terrible poorly shot there's like actually some hilariously like really bad uh like action scenes with some they must have like had inserts like, well, we just need to put some, uh, you know, rear projection in just so we can get this shot to pick up. And it's just, it's awesome in a really bad way. Wow. Okay. That sounds like the kind of thing I uh, am in the mood for like once a month. Now here's a movie. This is kind of funny. It's turned out to be a thing. Uh, I was looking very forward to, I mentioned this earlier, to Maestro, the new Bradley Cooper film about uh, Leonard Bernstein. It's this follow-up project. So a sophomore effort uh, from the very well-received Star is Born. Mm -hmm. Very different kind of movie. Very different. It's on uh, Netflix and here they must have given them the budget and whatever to do whatever they want. You know, Netflix is always looking for prestige. Well, it's also probably not a very high budget movie. Um, I don't know. It, I mean, it looked like it must have cost a fortune. But it's weird is that Netflix, you know, I think everybody gets down on Netflix, including myself, because of their model where they, sure, they put their films in a few theaters. Yeah just so that they can qualify for awards, but they don't really care about that. And they'll just, you know, maybe they'll put it out in the theater for a week before they show it. And it doesn't give you a lot of enthusiasm to see any of their films in a theater. I've seen one Netflix movie in a theater. Irishman. The Irishman. That is it. Everything else, it's kind of like, yeah. Now, mind you, this maestro what would be amazing is to see this on a huge screen and right. see it projected on film. I don't think uh, it is even available to be shown on film because it was shot on film. Right. And it was actually shot on black and white and it was shot in color. Um, and it was shot with some very like low ASA film stock, Okay, which if people were like, what's that mean? Well, if you shoot with a low ASA, you have to have more lighting in order to have it register, but you're going to get very vibrant colors. Yes. And and so Bradley Cooper shot the majority of this film with his cinematographer, Matthew Lebatique. Oh yeah, who's fantastic. Generally. He's fantastic. And this is probably, in my opinion, is the best looking thing that Matthew Lebatique's ever done. What Cooper has done is, and this is the problem, uh, <laughs> what's his face? Uh, George Clooney did this mm-hmm. with- um, Good night and good luck. Good night and good luck. 
there he showed, look at how slick and how yeah. polished a filmmaker I can be. And uh, critics bought it for that movie. And Cooper does the same thing. He's showing you just how much he's thought through on this film. Right. And it is a visual directorial razzle-dazzle that few films try these days. And that's all great. And there's a performance. I liked his Leonard Bernstein. Also, Carrie Mulligan plays his wife, Felicia Montalegre, who was an actress who married um, Leonard and kind of dealt with his uh, philandering okay. uh, with men over the years. And it's kind of an open secret between the two of them. She is fantastic. It will deserve every nomination you okay. know, that's out there she gets. The problem with the film that I think a lot of people are having problems with is that a, it's not a Star is Born, and it's right. about a composer that most young people don't know. So if they're in, don't have any there, idea who he is, yeah, it's really like an art film. It's not constructed the normal way of a biopic. Okay, how long is it? Feels like I think it's like a little over two hours. Okay, but the screenplay by Bradley Cooper and Josh Singer is probably the weakest part of the movie because it doesn't. It's a it's a story about Leonard Bernstein, but it doesn't have much of a plot. Right. Okay. So it's just following him along in his life. Kind of. And it's weird because it's not, it doesn't have the typical beats that you would have right. in a musical biopic kind of thing, which I personally like because I've seen that a million times. Yeah. I don't need to see it again. I really like the movie. However, it's one of those where, oh, this is that end of the year Oscar yes. fair. There's a lot of things that I like about it and they would put it on my Oscar ballot for certain things. And I think Bradley Cooper's direction is better than the movie itself. It didn't quite make it, I'd say, for my top 10. So the other thing that's going on with this movie, I guess, uh, is that people don't like it very much. Because people who are really good at like voicing their opinions on social media are not always people that like are art critics <laughs> and, right. and can handle an art film. And a movie like this Let's just say this came out in the 90s. This is a movie when I was living in Massachusetts. It would come out at the year end and it would play in Cambridge and it would play at like one of those art theaters for a few weeks. And then it might a month later make it out to the suburbs for a week right. and play on their smallest screen and attract an older audience. And most of those young hipsters that like love to tear shit down wouldn't see it. So now they're seeing it because it's on Netflix. And, yeah. Okay. And also it's fun once uh, somebody starts tearing down a movie it's like this. It's fun to tear it down. It's, and so yeah. Bradley Cooper, it's kind of like, it It does, I could see where someone's like, oh, like, like well, someone like yourself, I could see where you're like, oh, Cooper's really full of himself with this movie. <laughs> right. Or you might, or you might, because you like to go against the grain, you might actually be like, what were people talking about? This was great. <laughs> For me, the film technique, the, the costumes, the sets, the look of the film, um, the, the brilliant cinematography by Matthew Lebetique is great. But I mean, a lot of people, as soon as they see it turn from uh, like 185 to 133, yeah. they're out. <laughs> that's that's what I think. I think a lot of people are like, oh, why are film But film directors now... If they've given the chance, because things don't have to conform with like right. playing in a big theater and people are like, why is it square? They're experimenting with this format a lot because they like the intimacy it can create. Yeah, There's just a different dynamic in this film, the way it's shot. And this is a 
something that I'm noticing in a whole bunch of movies that I saw in the past couple of weeks. Um, but now I realize that we're not going to get through half of these if I don't shut up and just move Yeah, so let's thing. move on. Here's the next one. Another Prestige. It's on Amazon Prime. Another sophomore effort uh, from director, writer-director Emerald Fennell. Oh, yeah. And she did Promising Young Woman. Obviously, that there was Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. That I thought was great. I loved everything about it. Uh, Saltburn. This is her again, just like Bradley Cooper. How fancy can I dress up this movie? Oh, which if you've seen any movies, if you have a film history, you've seen this movie a thousand times before. Okay, <laughs> and you've seen it done better. But if you're new, the people I think who really like Saltburn are the younger critics out there who haven't seen all these movies and oh. maybe are caught by surprise where anybody who's ever seen movies like this know exactly where it's going to go. I don't know anything about the movie. It's set in the early 2000s, like 2007. Okay. For some reason, that specifically. <laughs> and it's at Oxford and you've got the like smart, not-so-rich kid, Barry Keegan, who's that weird-looking dude who's in Banshees of Inisherin and And a million other things. Millions. He's always creepy, and he's Oliver Quick. And then he ends up, through various things, becomes a friendship with a really, really rich kid. Jacob Alordi plays Felix Caton or Catton. And then long story short, at the end of the year, because Barry Keegan doesn't seem to have anywhere to go, he invites him back to his palatial estate called Saltburn. Okay. With the weird, wacky, super rich family that are totally out there. I mean, that sounds like it could be kind of fun and amusing, cast of characters. It's a dark film, um, I will say that. And then Barry Keegan, it kind of has a little bit of talented Mr. Ripley in it. It is a little bit like the favorite where you have like the lower class person trying to integrate themselves with the upper crust there in the favorite, though it's a completely different movie. I feel like that was way successful. And this whole thing, like I said, I knew where it was going to go. It was pretty obvious to me. So nothing that happens in the last act of the movie was a surprise to me. Okay. So people are talking about this movie though. Here's the thing. If my wife comes and asks me about a movie. Yeah. I know that people are talking about it because she's totally out of the loop. <laughs> well, right. And so if she's like, hey, what's up with this movie Saltburn? I'm like, oh, I guess people must be talking about it because uh, she, she doesn't talk to movie people. I enjoyed it for what it was. But again, it's it's putting into the category of, oh, you know, you're seeing it on some top 10 lists. Right. And you know, it's like being handed to you to like, this should be one of the, you know, Oscar contenders. So you then start to evaluate it differently. Here's the thing, though. It shot one, three, three. And on film. And it shot on film. And it's shot by uh, cinematographer Linus Sandgren. Don't know him. You don't? You mean the Academy Award winning cinematographer of La La Land? Oh, and, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I just, First no, the, Man and... Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, na- the name didn't ring a bell, uh, so... This cinematography, like, it's so amazing. And a lot of it is shot, again, with this low ASA, 50 ASA. Now, I know people are like, what the hell is that? What's the difference? Right, but it, it, it means you have less grain. The colors are so saturated that it looks like almost Technicolor. And the camera work really draws you in. And this 133 aspect ratio is really perfect 
for this style of film. Yeah. And so the filmmaking, it dresses up and it keeps you engaged in an otherwise so-so written film. <laughs> okay. I have to recommend it because I think it's some of the best cinematography of the year. I will definitely check it out. I'm and uh, hey, my wife might even want to watch it since apparently it, her her uh, poetry friends are talking about it. Yeah, look, as long as you know what you're getting into, and afterwards, like I don't, I don't want you to come back and go, "Why did you recommend that? It wasn't that good. Right. It sucked." Right. It, it, look, I, I think the cinematography, the performances aren't bad, and I uh, and it has a great sort of final shot sequence um, that reminded me a little bit of the ending of Beau Travai, and. I really did like it, but it doesn't pay off the film as much because I knew exactly where the film was going. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's one that's just draw dropping will f- like blow you to the back wall of the, your uh, of your home movie theater. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall. Very high on my list. I know uh, nothing about it. Well, I mean, <laughs> how, do, how do I even talk about a film and not tell you anything about it? Just, just give me some uh, a- adjectives. It has shades of that film that we saw this year that we really loved from several years ago, A Separation. Oh, yeah. It also has shades of Decision to Leave. Mm. Director is Justine Triet. It stars and a great, amazing performance by this German actress, Sandra Huller. She's also in a Zone of Interest. Okay. And she made a name for herself in this uh, film from several years ago, Tony Erdman. Oh, yeah, yeah. The interesting thing is she is in uh, France, and she is German, but the common language that her husband and her can speak fluently is English. Okay. The film is mostly, it is is in French, but it's also in English. So, like, if somebody's like, uh, subtitles, you could actually watch a lot of the movie is actually spoken in English. Okay. Does that put it in the foreign language film category? It did not get submitted. Oh, okay. By the country. So, uh, it's a film, though, that might get some Oscar nominations in other categories. Right. It, you really get an interesting look at the French legal system. And so that's why you were bringing up a separation. Yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's a really deep dive on a case where a husband is dead from a fall. Okay. And then an investigation into the death leads French authorities to believe that the wife killed him. Okay. The only witness who's not really a witness to the whole thing is the son who is vision impaired. Okay. The whole film is a deep dive examination of when a person is from another country, like this character, what the legal system's already like. Does that suspicion add to it because they don't trust her because she's an outsider? You're not necessarily getting a lot of clues as to whether she did or didn't do something. So you have to decide, what do you like about this actor playing her like right do you do you root for her are you suspicious does the evidence that the the french government bring up does that play well with what you believe to be the facts are and that the facts the movie give it's a brilliant piece of film direction yeah that's the kind of story that just sucks me in though where i'm like where i'm debating what's going on on screen it was a two and a half hour movie it flew by like a few times I had to shut it off and like look at my woman like this movie is so damn riveting. It was the last 
I can't remember the last time I watched a movie that had me on the edge of my seat as much as this. Okay. And the movie kind of, it goes the way it goes and it kind of ends how it ends and it makes sense for the film. But I feel like there's just maybe a little something that falls short of making not the film one of the better films I've seen this year, but just making it fall short of an absolute masterpiece. Oh, interesting. It's okay. that good. Like yeah. I, I kind of am like, oh, this movie just missed masterpiece level because otherwise this thing is so great. So okay. it, it, I highly recommend this movie. Do, try to see it. And that was just shot regular digital. Um, now, okay. <laughs> I haven't finished this movie. I'm only an hour into it. My wife and I are watching this on Criterion. It's a Criterion premiere. So sometimes they take art films that were out this year. They have it. It's it's mesmerizing. We're kind of watching it in chunks because it's sort of like a paint dryer type movie. Out of all the films I mentioned, this movie to me, it may not be the first on your list, but I feel like it's the one that you're going to be like, holy shit, this movie is everything I ever wanted. And it's this film from Iceland, Heilner Palmason, uh, directed this film called Godland. Oh, yeah. that I, I've heard about this. Yeah. The cinematography is by this woman, Maria von Hasselwolf. And, like, the, you're going to be blown away. That I have never, like, <laughs> another film shot, 133, it's all shot on film. And it's shot, and I had to look up, because I'm so impressed by the cinematography. Yeah. The exteriors in daylight are all shot in 50 ASA, which the depth of field of this yeah. of these images are something that you're going to like be shocked by and then otherwise shot with 250 asa and then for some night stuff and some interiors 500 right. uh, asa tungsten the colors it's kind of like um days of heaven good <laughs> oh wow okay <laughs> like this movie, there are some shots in here that you're just like wow and the shots, like the story, again, there isn't a lot of talking, a lot of story. It has a little bit of um, one of your other favorite movies there, the movie where they're, um, the conquistadors are looking for the lost city of gold there. Um, Agir Wrath of God? Yes. Or it has a bit of Agir Wrath of God aspects to it. It's very Scandinavian feeling. <laughs> and it's basically this priest descent to the remote parts of Iceland from like Denmark, I think, okay. to start a church. And he also is a wet plate photographer. This is in the 1800s. Right, right, right. And so the compositions, it's not just that it's 133, like the little side edges are gone. Oh, so it's a little vignette. And I have never seen a movie, or I have, just not in years, where I'm so mesmerized by the images in this film that you can't take your eyes off it. And so we're enjoying the heck out of this thing. That sounds fantastic. Wow. Godland, that's right. Yeah, that had it had come across my radar. This year is the year of like so many amazing films that were shot on film, and I realized because they're they're shooting like they're using stocks and stuff that typical Hollywood would not use. You know, you and I have talked a lot over the years about uh, Steadicam movies. Yeah, this is all on sticks, by the way. Godland's all on sticks. A lot of Hollywood movies look exactly the same. I'm wondering if these movies like Saltburn, say, are really trying to distinguish themselves visually. Yes. One of the ways to do that is to shoot on film and get a, a look that doesn't look like every other Netflix movie, that really looks unique and special to that film. 
And I think this move towards analog, I mean, it's very similar to people going back to vinyl. I saw a maestro out of these. I kind of saw that first. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I think I just saw the best cinematography of the year. But then I saw Saltburn and I'm like, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> right. And then, well, I'm seeing Godland. And I'm like, this might be better than the two of them. But then to top it off, I saw the best cinematography of the year in the film that I saw in the theaters. And that is Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Thing. Okay, now you're not going to tell me. I, okay, that's all I know about the movie. I know Emma Stone's in it. I'm going to tell you technically, our boy Yorgos has done it again. This might be my favorite of his films. And you're a fan, so that's I'm a fan. Lot. Yeah. But it's shot on black and white film. Then the middle portion is shot on ectochrome color, 35. Okay. Let that sit with you. And then the final portion is on 35. And then I'm talking about just like the little final, like maybe right. 20 minutes of the movie. The ectochrome, I mean, the color use, and it's all shot 166, my favorite aspect ratio. Interesting. Wow. It's written by Tony McNamara, who also wrote the screenplay for The Favorite, and it's based on a novel by a guy named Alistair Gray, okay. who passed away in 2019. And it's sort of a creation tale, um, sort of a Frankenstein. Uh, don't tell of, me. No, don't. No, I don't th- th- this is like the stuff you give the trailer. I haven't. I don't. I haven't seen the trailer. Yeah, but you can't look at look at. Uh, no, this is. I wish you would. How do I not get you? How do I get you to go to see these movies? How can I tell you how great a movie this is? Uh, this one you don't have to convince me on. I know, but I got to tell an audience. <laughs> I'm gonna, you don't listen to the show. Maybe you just tune out for a minute. And I'll tell you. I'm going to tune out for a minute. I'll, I'll be back in a second. No, listen, no, listen. Come here. Look, look come back. Because this is also the one. Uh, the other movies, I don't mind knowing that much about. This one, I want to go in as blind as possible. It's really a film about a woman, a woman's journey of discovery. How's that? Okay, I'll accept that. And it's Victorian times. Yeah. All right. And it's sort of like steampunk Victorian. This movie's a total fantasy. Oh, cool. Okay. It's not real. Like it's, it's definitely in its own world. <laughs> um. So like, there's places, but it's under like this bizarre imagination in some of the greatest sets and costumes. Are people talking about this movie? I think so, and it's just try to get people to see this thing because it's 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 unbelievable. Is it showing up on lists? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is definitely one of the films that people believe the experts believe he'll be one of the five nominated for best director. Okay. The cinematography. So Robbie Ryan shot it. He also shot the favorite, and he seems to understand how to take Yorgos's penchant for widescreen i mean i'm talking yeah wide angle lenses this is the perfect movie for it so there are there are fisheye there are wide angle and there's extreme fisheye where all you see is almost like a peephole circle oh wow okay and it all makes sense for the movie and it all works and you have delightfully wacky performances from willem dafoe mark ruffalo rami youssef uh, Gerard Carmichael, uh, this actor Christopher Abbott, a stage actress named Catherine Hunter, and Emma Stone, to me, puts in not only the best overall acting performance, male, female, whatever, of the year, but it's definitely, hands down, the best thing she's ever done. Yeah, I feel like she uh, is underrated. I, I, well, I'd I, say that, and I think, though, that she's smartest that she picks she picks projects that are really daring. Yeah. Uh, she's right now in this series that I've talked to you about that's on like what Showtime, the the curse. 
And that to me is my fair because it's very cringe. It's cringe yeah. television watching. Well, it's Nathan Felder too, right? So it is. And he's <laughs> great. Know. But what she does on that show, it's extraordinary. But here's what the thing is what she does in an age, mind you, where you you know, you have most actors pushing back on having sex in films and stuff. Yeah. Sexuality is a huge component and theme in this movie and ownership of your body taking ownership of their sexuality is a big part of the story. But here, Emma Stone, she has a, a rapport with Yorgos Lanthimos. And right. there's some stuff in The Favorite. And there's some there's even a little bit of hem- nudity by her that was her suggestion to him. Right. Because she felt that's what the character should do. She has to do something that you're just not going to get out of any A-list actor today <laughs> in terms of what you're doing sexually on screen and nudity. It doesn't feel exploitative in the way it's directed and her performance, but it's it's to me like it takes bravery to a new level. Okay. And this movie, look, if people are squeamish, especially younger, I know today younger like filmgoers don't like to see sex on screen. This movie might disturb them. <laughs> so people are talking about it. It's showing up on lists, but it's not playing anywhere. It is. I mean, I, I see for me, I have to go an hour away anyway to right, see things. Okay. So it was playing up north in Burlington. Uh, that was an hour and a half. Are people going to see it? Is it making money? Oh, I think, you know, like art, art wise. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I mean. Not blockbuster, yeah. but like art film wise. Let's put it this way. And it delighted my wife. She, she and I went and saw it. She absolutely loved it. And I absolutely loved it. And it really tickled her that this couple that was in front of us, they only could make it through 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, wow. They they bailed, huh? And to her, the sign of a good movie like this is if it can get people to walk out. <laughs> yeah, well, she's absolutely right. Yeah. But the older people in the audience, there were lots of older people in the audience and they didn't walk out. Again, adult movies, adults like to see adult movies. We're sick of kid movies like Marvel. Well, this is the movie that if you don't see it in the theater, Teal, and you may not get to, because you would have to maybe go out of your way and other things, but you're going to miss out if you don't see this in the theater because it's the one film out of all the ones we've talked about that I am most interested in seeing in the theater. That movie is the one that I just loved in every way. Uh, This is just a throw out. It's on Criterion and I was looking around and I just saw this film and I'm like, what is this? But I happen to know, notice that it had a segment um, sometimes Criterion has like different critics and or writers and stuff talk about different movies. Yeah, and they had this guy, and I can't remember the guy's name. My, my wife's read his stuff, and she loves this guy. And he did this whole sort of deadpan review of this Hong Kong splatter film uh-huh. called Ricky O: The Story of Ricky. Okay, yes. And the way he described it, you you knew pretty quickly that he was being very tongue in cheek, but he described. The film is that if you dialed up a movie to 11, that would be like 11 is zero because this movie was so extreme. <laughs> and it's, it's. In what way? Is it like uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man kind of extreme or? In, in a different way, but Hong Kong action movies, they're known for being pretty bloody and out of control. This came out in 1991. This film in Hong Kong got an 18 plus. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. 
again, try not to explain the plot too much, but you just know that this guy shows up in jail for manslaughter, supposedly, and he has some sort of superpower where he can regenerate. So, if, like, he gets shot or something, he regenerates. Oh, if you break his arm, okay. it fixes. And he's super strong, and he's had, like, insane training <laughs> from years ago. And basically, he keeps getting harassed by the guards or this right. person or that person. And throughout all the corruption, our hero, <laughs> Riccio, just lays waste to all these people in crazy ways, like putting his fist through someone's stomach and ripping out their guts. <laughs> oh, um, man, another funny. guy, there's a battle with a guy who he is going to let the, the baddie die just honorably, even though he's got like his whole gut split open. But the guy says, nope, I'm going to take you down. And he reaches into his stomach, pulls out his intestines, wraps it around Riccio's <laughs> head and starts to try to choke him to death. I mean, and then he gives him like the stick, gives the bad guy a super karate chop to the head where it's so explosive that they cut to an animation of of the brain getting hit by the explosion. <laughs> and another guy's got like these like bullets that are made for elephants and he shoots them and it like you, it enters your body and then it blows you up. And there's, you see a guy actually like turning into a balloon and exploding. I mean, this movie is delightful. <laughs> it's like sounds, an hour and 20 minutes. Oh just man, this sounds fantastic. Okay. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's everything I wanted. Definitely got to check that out. Yes. Perfect holiday movie too. It, it is. Yeah. Um, okay. So then there's a movie that I, you know, saw and then <laughs> you saw as well. And it's a very intriguing story. It's called Lola. It yes. came out this year. Yeah. And 2023 film, yeah. Low-budget sci-fi British film where the basic premise is two gals in the like late 30s. 1938. Yeah. Emma Appleton and Stephanie Martini. Don't know them, but they're, they're people that I'll maybe watch in the future now. Emma Appleton, I've seen in one or two other things. She is very striking looking and has yeah. really interesting eyes and... Uh, yeah, I saw her on a TV show, a British TV show, I think. Yeah, they're definitely appealing, and they're sisters, though for a while I didn't realize they were sisters and thought they were lovers. Me too, yeah, but it, but that's part of the nature of the found footage genre is that it, you have to stitch together things from what's uh, fr from the pieces of the story that are there. Yeah, and mind you, I'm not a big found footage. Uh, as a matter of fact, not even big. I don't usually like found footage. I Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I don't like it, but... There's so many things that you have to let go of in found footage in in order to suspend disbelief that uh, this is a science fiction film that also you have to suspend disbelief. And so there was a point at which I was like, okay, I'm completely suspending disbelief. I'm just going with this. Well, these two sisters, they're like, they're kind of in a weird way, orphans. They live in mm -hmm. like a big manor in British and their father, I think was an inventor and they are inventors and they've invented a very weird type of time machine device yes. that is able to capture radio and TV transmission signals from the future and then turn them into the way so they can either they can see like uh, television footage from the future. They can tune into TV signals from the future and it's 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 a such a great sci-fi concept. I can't believe it hasn't been done before because 
you can almost stretch the physics on that, right? Like it, it's not like traveling a body through time. Here's even better. They're inventors that have all this access to film and they're filming all their, their experiments. And because they're inventors, they've invented sync sound yeah. onto film, which really hadn't happened for the low budget uh, film aficionado, but it's a great way to like go, how are they taping this? I, and I was, I was sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not sure I'm buying the sound on this. And then, <laughs> then they show it. <laughs> then 30 seconds later, the guy says, how are you recording sound? And they, no, give it was a, great. and they give enough of an explanation that I'm like, again, okay, fine. I'll buy it. But you know, of course they start changing history and of course, it's so weird that like the government would just be like, yeah, you guys can be on your own with just one person. We're not going to just grab your technology and take it for ourselves. There's so many things that don't make sense in this movie. If, if you start picking it apart on that level at all, the whole thing falls apart. It, it, you have to take it as an allegory. That was my biggest thing, though. That Out of all of that was the fact that, especially later, that government certainly would have commandeered it. But, like, yeah. Um, but, you know, basically in every time travel thing, you start changing things too much and obviously mistakes are going to be made and you, then you change the future. But one of the cool things that it did that I haven't seen in another movie is the two girls have a, a love for this future rock star, David Bowie. Yes. And other music that they love and they Bob introduce Dylan. sort of rock and roll to people and that's kind of cool but then the music starts changing and suddenly they realize that something they've done has changed the future where david bowie doesn't seem to be on the scene anymore <laughs> yeah. and instead you get sort of this weird fascist rock star <laughs> <laughs> and this guy is now reginald watson and the music that he's singing, it's like, if you're listening to the lyrics, it sounds very pro-fascist. Oh, it is. It's, it's like yeah. fascist pop. It's hilarious. And it's done so well that my wife was fascinated by this aspect and started looking up and noticed that the songs were written by this guy, Neil Hannon, who's uh, been in bands and stuff. And he also does the voice for Reginald Watson. He doesn't play him, but he, he does the voice. And she discovered that he's the one who wrote the songs for the new movie, Wonka. And because of this movie that we kind of enjoyed, we went with our youngest son uh, a few days ago on uh, New Year's Day, and we saw the Wonka movie, all because we saw Lola. <laughs> the Wonka movie's enjoyable enough? It's enjoyable, but I've been spoiled by seeing these movies like Maestro and Poor Things and Saltburn, and seeing the vibrancy that the film stocks can provide, you are really aware, despite how colorful and inventive Wonka is, it's shot digitally. And man, you see how flat it makes colors. Right. It, I was like, that's what it's missing. It doesn't have that technicolor pop that if it just was shot on film, it would look so much better as it is. I really enjoyed it. It had a lot of spirit of Roald Dahl and it was very much more in the spirit of the original Willy Wonka movie that we liked than that crazy... Uh, Johnny Depp, Tim Burton one. Johnny Depp thing. Yeah, th this is way better than that. So I enjoyed it and I don't have to spend much time talking about that, but it's just interesting after seeing all these movies shot on film and how vibrant they are, that's when I really can see the difference in digital cinematography. 
while you're talking about this, I'm thinking about Priscilla, which is probably the best digital cinematography I've seen this year, but it's also not heavy on the color saturation. It's a softness. Yeah. Yeah. It's pl- yeah. A softness. But you did see one film in the theater, yeah. and I've heard that the cinematography is good in it, and it is definitely digital, and it's by a guy who embraces digital, I think, in a different way than a lot of people. And so I'm kind of curious to hear your take on how the cinematography is in the movie Ferrari by Michael Mann, which you got to see and I haven't seen. I got to see it. Just uh, it worked out in my schedule that I happened to be at the mall while that was playing. Uh, so it just, yeah, I didn't have a lot of choices. So I went to see Ferrari. I, I did like the cinematography. It's very clean. It's definitely video, but it has, I, I don't know. I feel like Michael Mann has dealt with digital over the years in different ways than other people have. One thing that's interesting about this is that it's a period film and somehow the digital works with it being period. Often that doesn't for me. Um, But the details, the costuming, everything is so right on and so perfect. This is an interesting film because I enjoyed it. It's not what I was expecting. I think it's really not about cars at all. That's kind of a subplot. It's really a character piece about this guy who is dealing with sort of a family crisis and a business crisis at the same time. And it's really more of a domestic drama than anything else. Yeah, because the story of Enzo Ferrari is fascinating. It's the guy who was like basically bleeding money because his passion, he really didn't care about selling cars. He cared about racing cars. Yes, and then there is a line where he comes right out and he's like, oh yeah, like Maserati... Uh, races to sell cars and i sell cars to race and he really did like in the real guy and so uh that i was i really want to see this movie and then he's got like these two families that he's juggling and uh his wife is his business partner and so there's it's it's and penelope cruz is amazing and i hate adam driver but we don't know why, but you you do. He just he irritates me, right? But I liked him in this movie, and it made me realize I'm going to like the old Adam Driver in like 20 years. I know he plays, but, he, but it works, right? He plays an older guy, but it actually works, right? It totally works. I totally bought him as this character. Um, the makeup is, is exceptionally well done to the point where it doesn't feel like a guy in old age makeup. Um, and, and it helps that he's not that old, right? Adam Driver's like, I think like 40 now. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, I, I think Adam Driver will gr- grow into the character in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's definitely, uh, there are a couple things, in the, there's a couple of crash sequences that are unlike things I've seen in other movies. Oh, cool. You know, so the driving parts are great. The racing parts are great. What's interesting, though, is that, like, the race car drivers are really minor characters for the most part. There's one who's sort of a bigger character, but it's really... So, like, when the races are going, you're with the drivers for some of it, but you're with him for a lot of it, and he's on the sidelines. Right. And so it's a slight... You know, in in most movies, uh, like Ford versus Ferrari, you know, one of the main characters is is a driver. Well, it's interesting is now there's a movie that actually did really well at the box office. Yeah. This movie is tanking hard. Yes. Nobody is seeing this movie. And I'm not sure why. Is it just doesn't have the appeal to people? Uh, 
I actually think it's because it's not a race car movie. It's a domestic drama. It's an, it's an, like an adult domestic drama, like along the you know lines of like Kramer versus Kramer or something. Interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, aside from maybe twenty minutes of racing stuff, but I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I don't highly recommend it, but uh, yeah. So I'm not a huge fan, but I enjoyed watching it. It it was a uh, it was a good experience. Well, I do want to see it, but I'm probably going to end up seeing it streaming just because yeah. I don't think I'm getting out to the theaters this weekend, and I'd have to go pretty far to see it. And, and I don't think it actually needs to be seen in a theater. Well, that's not a good recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> well, some movies really, you know, have the theater experience. This, I feel like, will be fine. It's a drama, right? It's fine. <laughs> Yeah. Well, any of the movies that I've mentioned today, I would always say, sure, seeing them in the theater would be the best way to see them if possible. But the, but but I mean, I saw most of these at home and I was fine. So that's what I'm saying with Ferrari is that, yes, of course, it's better in the theater, but I wouldn't uh, run out to see it. Okay. So here are all the films that we mentioned on the show. Uh, Wonka, absolutely. Here's what's interesting about Wonka. I, we discovered I went and saw it is you had a whole bunch of grandparents taking like one kid. And what it seemed like is it was an excuse for them to go see Wonka because they wanted to see the movie, you know, because they right. like Wonka from when they were younger. There aren't really any family movies right now. Like that's really the, the only one because uh, there's that one about the duck or whatever, the migration, but like that just right, feels but that's like, a, oh, that's I don't a cartoon. See one of those movies. Yeah. I don't want to see those digital cartoons again. Yeah. And like... <laughs> Adults would rather see Wonka than see a cartoon. And so it's more of a family movie because it can be enjoyed by more ages. And because I'm personally kind of fed up with cartoons. I have you know, I have no desire to see most of them. Uh, but I liked Wonka. I, I enjoyed myself. Wasn't bored ever. And yeah, my kid liked it. Oh, oh, so she went and saw it. She went with her friend and saw it. Yeah. Um, and she really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I do. That's one I do want to see, but I'm probably not going to see in the theater. Uh, Poor Things is the movie that I highly recommend people that if they like weird movies, okay, because I do. Right. <laughs> it's certainly, it's Yorgos Lanthimos. So, I mean, you you watch this and you're like, oh, yes, this is definitely, nobody else could have made this movie but him. <laughs> uh, and if you really like those kind of daring things, um, really interesting fantasy and a delight from beginning to end, that's the movie I would go see in the theater. Okay. Retirement Plan, if you like terrible Nick Cage, <laughs> that you should see. Uh, if you want to see great Nicolas Cage and be reminded of how good an actor he can be, Dream Scenario, really amazing. Uh, Maestro, I won't say I hate it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Uh, I loved the cinematography. Uh, and I thought Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan were great. Saltburn, uh, anybody that loves, loves, loves this movie, I question their filmography and how far <laughs> many movies right. they've seen. Uh, but it's good. And I like the cinematography a hell of a lot. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall, outstanding movie. I really recommend you see it. Do you have to see it? Near masterpiece. Near masterpiece. It doesn't quite hit that that level, but I mean, as far as a movie for the year 2023, one of the best for sure. Um, haven't finished it, but I can't imagine it being any different than the first hour. Uh, Godland is phenomenal looking. You're gonna your jaw's gonna drop. Uh, people looking for something crazy on Criterion, Ricky O, the story of Ricky. <laughs> uh, the feature film debut of Andrew Leggy, Lola. There's a little bit of a hidden gem. It is a hidden gem, especially if you're into sci-fi stuff. I think it's really, uh, and, and yeah, 
It's really short too. It's an hour and 20. It's a perfect length. It's a perfect length. It packs so much into that. It really explores its concept. And it's it's nice to see a you know black and white, lo-fi sci-fi film. By the way, another 133. Yep. <laughs> um, and shot on film. And shot uh, on film. And then Teal gives a, you know, moderate recommendation to Michael Mann's Ferrari. So wait till that comes out on uh, whatever whatever channel that's going to come out on. Uh, probably be out next week. Who knows? It'll it'll definitely be out next week. <laughs> yeah, there's still some movies that I want to see for 2023 films, and maybe I will get to see a few weeks. Believe it or not, kids, the next episode we do will probably be our annual Oscar nominations. Yes. So that'll be uh, January 23. And what we do is we don't do any. I don't really do any editing. I just tape the whole thing and teal never watches the nominations so i give them to him and it's like he's hearing it for the first time and i go you've got to be freaking kidding me yeah i mean i already know certain films (laughs) that are probably not they're locks so between now and then i'm going to try to watch as many of these potential uh films as possible i don't know which films like for instance maestro before it came out yeah seemed like it was a lock and now, not so much. But now that the, so many people have been shitting on it, and it also, by the way, people are avoiding it. Uh, Netflix does like, what, a top 10 of yeah. its streams? Within one week, one week, Maestro was not in the top 10. Yeah, that's crazy. That uh, uh, That's a bomb. But yeah, I mean, so look at all these movies that we talked about. And again, I couldn't even tell you about Poor Things because Teal wouldn't let me. <laughs> I can't even give you the plot. Well, that's one That's one that we'll talk about more after I see it. I guess so. But boy, you I mean, that's the one you should have found a way this past week. And yeah. gone and found. I mean, you can't tell me that you live in a way more populated area than me. You can't tell me that wasn't playing somewhere that was less of a drive than I took to see it. Yeah, I could have. I, no, I definitely could have gotten to it if I had transportation. And it's tough because that's a film with the audience that you could drag to to see it. You don't have that. Like I don't have anyone I can drag to see. <laughs> I had my yeah. wife to take. She loved that movie. Yeah, I would be going by myself and I would have transportation issues. So I may get it to it in the next day or two, but we'll see. I'll tell you, though. Oh, my God. The musical score for Poor Things is amazing. Okay. It is so unusual. Just like the whole time, the whole movie is unusual. But did you see the Hunger Games movie? No, we have that pal of ours that saw it and he really liked it. Oh, yes, he did. Okay. But he. Yeah. But you know what? It's like two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> the only reason I brought it up is because the, uh, the album. <laughs> <laughs> if you like the film, you'll love the album. What? <laughs> First, I, I, the album came up in my algorithm, and I was like, "What the hell? I'll put it on." It's it's way better than it has any right to be, because what's her name? Who was in West Side? Oh, she's also a singer, right? Yeah, so she does a bunch of songs that are inspired by the film, but not in the film, and they're great. Does, it, does Reginald Watson? appear <laughs> he he does appear he's got he's got two songs but anyhow i listened to the album and I, I, it was like music conspired by the hunger games i was like what the hell i'll put it on and then i was consistently coming back and going wow this song's really good and it was all her i can't remember her name but you didn't see the movie <laughs> no i didn't see the movie <laughs> okay well you don't want to see the movie um I'll watch it. You know, <laughs> okay. I'll watch it with my family, but I'm not like okay. in a big hurry to see it. I'm not right. like, uh, you know, 
that's one of those ones where uh, I know the family will want to watch it at some point, so I'm not going to watch it on my own. People enjoy this long episode because we are not coming back until January 23rd, where at some point before the 23rd is over, you will get our nomination show. Yes. Fantastic. So enjoy and go see some stuff. I've just told you about a bunch of stuff and Teal told you about a couple of stuff because he didn't see the stuff. And I, but now I'm going to see some stuff before now the next he's episode. Excited. And then we're going to hear, we're going to do a whole nother episode where we're going to talk about all these films again, because that's what happens. Teal sees them. And then he has like, he's like, holy shit, this was the greatest thing ever. You didn't tell me it was that good. And I'm like, I tried to, but you wouldn't even let me talk about poor things. All right. Watch you hate it. And then you'll be like, that movie sucked. I'm going to hate it just to irritate you. We won't even get into that whole holdovers thing <laughs> happened. Oh yeah, that was a misunderstanding. <laughs> it was. I was really mad at you. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna see again. We may cut this out. We may not. But so the other day, I watched the holdovers again. My wife hadn't seen it. We we watched it was on Peacock and uh, watched it with my oldest, and we really enjoyed it. And I, you know, watching a film a second time, I'm either gonna be like, mm-hmm. eh, it wasn't as good the second time, and then I try to like hold on to my first moment, right. or I'm like, wow, it's still as good. It was still as good, and I really appreciated certain aspects more. Yeah. And then, out of nowhere, <laughs> yesterday, on a group text with this person who saw the Hunger Games prequel, I'm, like, cooking dinner, and then you wrote some kind of snarky review or something about the holdovers, yeah. and it made it sound like you were saying it and that you didn't like it. And But you screwed it up because I knew you were talking about the holdovers, but you said the leftovers. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, if you're going to shit on a movie, you got to get the name right. And of course, you weren't. You were just reading a review that some clown wrote. I I saw some clowns on social media ripping into the movie, and so I was repeating what they had said. And you thought it was coming from me. I didn't clarify it very well. I no, you and you didn't do that. You did it on purpose, right? Yes. Because on this thread, right, part of it is to like kind of like see if you can rattle my chain a bit. Yeah. And that's what I thought you were trying to do. And then I like, but then you followed up. But I didn't quite read the the follow up correctly, and I thought you were doubling down. And I'm like, <laughs> "What? Like, did he? Is this kid forgotten that we talked about it? And he said he liked it, but now he's shitting on it. Is he doing this to just like get the other guy like involved in this? And it's like just pile on me. And I'm like, or does he'll lie on the show about movies he likes? And he really doesn't like them because he can't say the truth. And now I'm like all sitting there cooking my meal, getting all mad. And then finally, you know, we got that resolved. And then I felt better because I'm like, can I even trust this guy again? Yeah. No, I like the movie. It's just what I thought it was funny that people were calling it hipster hallmark. Hipster Hallmark. <laughs> Hipster Hallmark is funny. Right? It is. But see, yeah, people love, like, sometimes people on social media, they're like, how clever and funny yeah. can I be? And then they forget, like, you know, I mean, it's like, is that what you do? You just watch things so that you can be clever and funny and tearing them down? I, th- I think some people do exactly that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I think it's funny when people uh, attack a movie that I really like and yes. in, such, in such a clownish way too, right? Well, I expect you to come up with a whole bunch of these for Maestro and Saltburn. Okay. For the next time we can see, you can sprinkle some of those in when we talk about, because some of the, those movies might get some nominations. Okay. Well, I'll try to come up with some clever hot takes. Yeah, I want your clever hot take, Teal. We'll call you Tealburn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a hip manner all to yourself. Hip Gr- for Grindhouse for film critics. Yeah, that's 
That's hilarious. <laughs> so what that is, is that somebody that just was like, and that's the problem. Today's audience, they, they need to be thrilled every second when they watch something <laughs> or else they're going to their phone and not paying attention. And these are movies that, you know, require you to actually sit there and watch them. You know, that's the problem. People have Maestro. I mean, I get it. At some point, they're like, why would anybody make a film about Leonard Bernstein? <laughs> I, I feel like that without even watching it. I Yeah. And then this movie isn't going to necessarily answer that for you. That's the problem. Like, you know, uh, but it's cool. Like, there's some scenes that are just amazing. There's that six-minute scene where he's conducting this uh, piece, and it is it is fantastic. Okay. Well, um, I, I do want to check it out. It just feels like, at the end, I do have to admit that it did come off a little bit like a vanity project, and I feel like he's going to be disappointed come Oscar nominations day when his name is not on Best Director again. Yeah. And he's going to feel like, what did I do? And maybe this will be a humbling experience for him. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, that often happens on the sophomore effort. But I tell you, the makeup was pretty amazing because it really didn't look like aging makeup or anything throughout the film and that my wife commented on that she's like i've never seen aging makeup look so real it looked really good in ferrari too i don't know what uh yeah maybe there's been some big breakthrough in aging makeup technology anyhow okay we gotta <laughs> oh, we, we now haven't done an episode this long and forever <laughs> we, we, now... do we try to do 10 movies we can't do that <laughs> What if you had seen some of them? This movie, this show, oh, three oh. hours long. <laughs> we would not, we'd not be getting out of here now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, thanks, kids, for tuning in. Twenty twenty four, kids. Uh, go see some stuff. Uh, Instagram, all that stuff. You know, stuffweseen dot com. Enjoy. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>